Today on Run With Horses, I'm continuing my discussion from last time on living a life that is worthwhile. We all need to count the cost, but it's always worth it to follow Jesus. My name is Norman, and my goal is to help you run your race well, not just surviving, but thriving as a disciple of Jesus. There are a lot of things that you can do with your life, but I don't think anything compares with following Jesus and joining Him on His mission of bringing hope to the nations. Thanks for including me on your journey. Well, on the last show, I asked two questions that I think are very, very important questions that all of us should consider. And the first question is the big picture question. What is your life worth? And we talked about how you are spending your time on something, and ultimately that time will add up and equal your life. The question is, are the things that you're spending your time on worth it? (laughs) Your, Your time is one of the most valuable things you have. So the things that you spend that time on, uh, they'd better be worth it. So taking from that big picture and trying to work down into what am I doing now and what am I doing in the next couple of years, I ask a question that I think maybe helps put some things in perspective. I ask, what is one thing that's worth giving the next five years of your life to accomplish? So that's going from the whole picture of our life from start to end. (laughs) All of that time adds up to something worthwhile, but really we have to take smaller chunks when we're thinking about making decisions, about planning, about all of the, the ways that we spend life, the things that we do. And I think one way to do this, and there's lots of good ways to do this, but one way to to approach it, it may be help us to clarify some of the things that we do is, what is that one thing that I want to apply myself to for the next five years? I want to see progress in this area. This is worth whatever it takes in the next five years to see something happen in this area. And sometimes we don't really think about that. We're considering our job and how, you know, we want to make make money. We want to be able to pay our bills. We want our kids to grow up and be happy and healthy. But all of those are just kind of ongoing little things that can be very nebulous. How, how is that going? <laughs> Am I doing better at that? Am I improving at that? Am I giving it enough effort? Am I giving it too much? But when we narrow it down and say, what am I going to do intentionally to make some progress and to see some change in my life? Well, we have to set some limits, so maybe five years, and then I have to be willing to do something intentionally. And so that's what my challenge is for today. I want you to live an intentional life. You know, I heard the saying years ago that if you aim at nothing, you'll hit it every time. <laughs> well, that's true. And I'm not saying that by setting up a good solid goal that you're going to hit it. But you probably will make progress and do a lot better than if you had no goals. You know, I'm not sure that Jesus intended for us to live this wandering, aimless life and just do whatever you think might make you happy. Certainly, that's not the impression you get when you look at a passage like Luke 14. You know, and I want to go ahead and look at this whole passage, Luke 14, 25 to 33. As many people followed Jesus and they came to him and he continued to teach them, Then in verse 26, he says, and he's talking to this great crowds that followed him. And, you know, they were following for a lot of reasons. That's that's part of the issue. When people followed Jesus, they they followed him because he fed them. They, They had physical needs that were met. They followed him because he did cool things. There were miracles that occurred. He was entertaining. 
they followed him because he was a good teacher. He was, I think, the best teacher. He was interesting. He talked about things that were relevant to their life. But then you come to the, these, it says great crowds accompanied him in verse 25. And so he turned and he said to them, these great crowds, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, and even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. For which of you, desiring to build a tower, does not first sit down and count the cost whether he has enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he has laid a foundation and is not able to finish, all who see it begin to mock him, saying, This man began to build and was not able to finish. Or what king, going out to encounter another king in war, will not sit down first and deliberate whether he is able with 10,000 to meet him who comes against him with 20,000? And if not, while the other is yet a great way off, he sends a delegation and asks for terms of peace. So therefore, any one of you who does not renounce all that he has cannot be my disciple. Wow, I don't know about you, but that's, that's powerful. That's, that's not saying, hey, why don't you follow me and try it out and see if it works for you. That's not saying, ah, just go ahead and live your life however you want to. You don't really have to try to do anything. I mean, he's inviting people When he says, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me, he sent out that invitation to be his disciple. Now he's clarifying, it's a 100% effort. It's not, you can give a little bit. He's asking for everything. And I think that's the life of intentionality that we're supposed to live. Understanding, yes, we're going to have to work, we're going to have to provide for our family and all of those kind of things. But even those things have to be subservient to the Father, to obedience to Him. And I mean, it says that. I mean, even down to father, mother, wife, brothers, sisters, but even your own life, if you put any of those things above following Him, He says, you cannot be his disciple. Suppose it is a hundred percent. He wants all of us, not just part of us. Well, I think, going back to my questions, when you consider the worth of our life, I think following Jesus is worth everything that it cost. And when I think about that question, what is one thing worth giving the next five years of my life to accomplish? I think it has to be in line with who Jesus is and what he's doing in the world. I think to me that that should be a simple answer if we've already answered the question of, am I his disciple? Am I really going to follow? Am I really going to put everything under that priority? So my take is that Jesus is calling us to this intentional life, and he's challenging us to consider what it will cost. He doesn't say, come and follow me and don't consider it. No, he's saying, you need to think about it. You need to consider what it's going to cost you because it will cost you everything if you actually follow him. And I think it's worth it. I think even a passage like John 8, 20 said, Jesus again said to the people that were listening to him, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And one of the questions we often have and one of the the challenges is, I don't understand. We're always walking confusing. I don't uh, in confusion. I don't know what tomorrow is going to bring. I don't know if the things that I'm applying effort to, if they're going to work out. 
And that's walking in darkness. We're wondering how things are going to happen. Uh, we're walking in a world that is full of darkness and full of evil. And Jesus says, I am the light. Follow me. And you won't walk in darkness, but you have the light of life. Your life will have clarity. Uh, it will have meaning and purpose that you can't have outside of him. So when we do this process of of counting the cost, of considering what Jesus is actually inviting us to do, I think we'll find out it's worth it. It's, it's a good thing to follow him. It's a good thing to understand that he's inviting us to join him on this mission. And he wants us to know that it is a lifetime commitment and that it will cost us something. But he also says over and over, it's worth it. It's worth it here and now, and it's worth it in eternity. So, if you're tracking with me so far, you are considering how you're spending your time, how you're evaluating your life, what you're doing with your life, what your life is worth. And hopefully, most of you have already committed to following Jesus, and you have a clear tower, going back to Jesus' image, a clear picture of this tower you're building. You, you know kind of what this life looks like. You've looked at God's Word, and you see what... He is building into your life what He is doing, the gifts He's given you. And you have already rolled your sleeves up, and you are ready to get to work to see what God is going to accomplish in your life, how He is going to work in your life and through your life. And if that's you, awesome. <laughs> let, me, let me tell you, I am I'm excited every time I hear of someone that is really committed to seeing what God is going to do. So let me, let me know what God's doing in your life. Feel free to write me. Uh, Norman at runwithhorses.net. I'd love to hear how you are going forward in serving and what God is teaching you and how God is using you and, and where you're serving. You know, I'd love to rejoice with you and pray for you as you live a life of eternal meaning and purpose. Part of that eternal meaning and purpose, let me always encourage you, reach out and encourage those around you to join you. Encourage them, motivate them, and do what you can to equip and train them so that they will grow as followers of Jesus as well. Now, I know there are people like that, and I know a lot of them, and I'm always excited to, to have a chance to sit down and, and talk to them. And if you uh, listen to the show, maybe two shows back, you heard an interview with, with Josh, and he is one of those young men that is committed to seeing what God will do with his life, and it's taken him to the far parts of the world. But at the same time, I know that many people feel like they're stuck you know, they, they feel like they're in a rut, and they want to take steps of faith, but they're not sure how, or other people have built a foundation. So they, at one point in time, they imagined, they had this understanding and vision of this tower that God is building, that He has invited them to join with and to work on, and they began working on it years ago, but it's still just a foundation, and maybe today it has sand blown across it, and the weeds are starting to creep in from the edge, and it's starting to kind of lose its sharpness. And the busyness of life and distractions of the world just make it easy to leave this work because it's hard, and it's hard to build a spiritual tower. <laughs> uh, it's easy to say, well, I'm busy, I've got other things, so I'm going to leave this for later, which becomes this vague time in the future when... Um, things settle down, whatever that means. And hey, no judgment here. I've been there. We, we all have times when that's the case. We do get distracted, but 
my intention, my hope is that I can encourage you to pull back and reevaluate and get back to work on the tower. You know, it's not okay to stay in that place of too busy and distracted and focused on things of the here and now and neglecting the things that have value in eternity. So it's not okay to stay there. It's okay to, to recognize and stop and say, yeah, I've been distracted. But God is really doing something in your life. He wants to make you a better you. He wants to make you more like Jesus. He wants you to really understand and completely embrace that bigger purpose of life. It's not just making it through the end of the week unscathed. You know, if you follow Jesus, you're not going to escape unscathed. You're, you're going to face hardship. You're going to face trials. You're going to face temptation. And God never hides that. Jesus never hid the fact that if you accept his call to follow him, it's going to be difficult. But he also never hides the fact that he has great plans for us. Uh, Ephesians 2, 1 to 10 is one of my favorite passages when I think about how God has created us and what he's created us for, because it gives this contrast. It starts in verse one and says, and you were dead in the trespasses and sin in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, that's the two greatest words in the English language, but God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved and raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is an awesome passage and a couple of things in there that are just hugely encouraging to me. And I hopefully, I hope that they're encouraging to you. First, he made us alive in Christ. So he tells us what we were and we starts out, we were dead. Uh, we once walked in this life of sin and separation from God and all of mankind was there. But God made us alive together with Christ. And this is grace. It is by grace we have been saved. And it's really cool because he, he goes on and says that again, we've been saved through grace, by grace. And it's not our own doing. It's God's gift to us. It's not something that we worked at, that we could accomplish on our own. It is his gift to us. And then verse 10 really puts this all in, in a nutshell. This is the new you. It says you are his workmanship. God has created you. You are his work of art. You are his uh, product that he has lovingly formed and fashioned. And not just to sit on a shelf and be pretty. It's not just a piece of art. But it says very clearly, we were created in Christ Jesus for good works. God created you 
not really so much as a, a work of art you put on the shelf, but as a beautiful tool that is useful and still beautiful, but it has a purpose. It has meaning. It is able to accomplish things. And God prepared you for that. And it says that God prepared those works for you. That's awesome. I mean, if you think about that, God's saying, I I have this task for you. I have this purpose for your life. And I created you perfectly to fulfill that purpose. It's one of the reasons why it's dangerous for us to compare ourselves with other people. You can't look at someone else's life and say, well, they're doing this and they're doing that. And I just can't do that. Well, you're not supposed to. Well, it's like the screwdriver and the wrench comparing and saying, well, I can't do what the the screwdriver does. So the wrench is depressed all the time. And the screwdriver looks at the wrench. Well, I can't do what the wrench does. So the the screwdriver is depressed all the time. Well, that's, that's foolish. The wrench wasn't made to turn screws. The screwdriver wasn't made to turn a bolt. That's not what they're made for. But you know what? They do their job perfectly. The screwdriver perfectly fits into the screw that it's made to turn. The wrench is made for a certain size bolt and nut, and it perfectly fits those. That's how God made you. You perfectly fit with the ministry, the service that God has for you. He's prepared it for you, and He's prepared you for it. So we can never have a great fear and doubt, can I do it? If God has called us to it, we know we can do it at the level that He has designed us to do it at. He is able, uh, and He has done that work. So as you pray about what God is doing in your life, and you seriously consider how to answer that question, what's worth spending the next five years of my life on? Remember that God already knows, and He has already planned the good works for you, and He has prepared you for those good works. So there's no reason to be afraid. There's no reason to turn away in fear. God has promised to go with you and give you His strength to accomplish His purpose in and through you. Maybe the old uh, Nike slogan is a good one, just do it, (laughs) would be appropriate. Sometimes we hesitate and we lose momentum because we're afraid. And maybe we, we sink into the mire of earthly things and we get stuck in our spiritual life when we should say, God called me, I'm just going to go forward. I, I don't know how it's going to turn out, but I know that God is going with me and I know that He will make it work. That's one of the awesome things about Romans eight twenty eight. Even in our mistakes, God can be glorified. Even in our mistakes, God can accomplish His purpose. Even when I think, I'm just not able to do this very well. I, I've walked into churches and talked to groups where I felt like, Everyone in the church could do a better job than I could do. But God called me to stumble through it myself. So I have to trust that God knows what he's doing and that he can use even leaky vessels, even a a wrench that's rusty or, or bent. He can still use that in the right place. That's the perfect tool. You can't be the best you without really understanding what God is doing in your life. You want to understand how, if you've accepted Christ, God has equipped you for the mission that He's on in the world, and He's prepared a part for you. So He gave you gifts. He gave you a purpose. And if you're not using those, if you're not using your spiritual gifts to build up the church and to to accomplish the mission of Christ in the world, then you're always going to be out of step with your eternal purpose. And I think you're always going to feel a little bit off. You're you're always going to be a little unsure because that doesn't feel right. Well, yeah, it can't be if we're not in line with what God's doing 
And sometimes it's just we're afraid. We're not willing to try. We're not quite confident that God means what He says when He tells us that He will accomplish His work in us and He will accomplish His work through us. So as we consider what's coming, these next steps, as we consider the future, as we consider the value of our life, we have to strongly anchor that in our identity in Christ. Know that you're created with a purpose, that God chose you for fellowship, that He gave you the Holy Spirit to to guide you, to equip you, to provide you these gifts. And instead of fear and uncertainty, the better response would be, let me embrace God's call in my life. Let me consider a little more deeply who God is and what God's doing in the world. And then let me look around and see the people that God loves. There's the people in His church. There's the people in my community that don't know God yet. God loves them. God is reaching out to them. What is my part in all this? And it does have to mesh. I I understand you have uh, family, you have jobs, you have things that you have to do, responsibilities that you've taken on. But God also understands that. And the work that He's called you to in the here and now is not going to be hindered by your family or by your job. It may be hindered by your priorities. If you put those things above Him, then yeah, absolutely, that is going to hinder your fruitfulness. But God is able to take those things. And we have to evaluate This is my family. This is my job. This is my life. This is where I'm at right now. And this is part of counting the cost to consider who I am right now. What has God taught me to this point in my life? What are the big lessons that God has taught me? And as he's taught me those things, have I learned things that other people will be encouraged by? Have I been comforted in a way that I am able to comfort someone else? Have I learned a valuable lesson that there are other people around me who also need to learn that lesson. I think that's part of evaluating who we are, of looking at God's call and God's gifting in our life. It's also part of counting the cost because when you consider how God made you and your gifts, you're going to have to make choices about how you use your time. You will have opportunities as you go forward in life. You can work extra and overtime, or you can go home early sometimes Make less money, but have an opportunity to spend time with your kids and invest in them or with your neighbors or to turn down those extra shifts at work because the church has uh, an activity that you want to be involved in or because you have a neighbor that you want to reach out to and you want to do a barbecue. So you need to to refuse extra shifts or turn down uh, a job that would make more money because it takes more time and it keeps you away from people and ministry and the, the work that God has called you to. You have to count the cost. When you choose work, you're not choosing something else. When you choose your hobbies and spending time and and money on yourself, you're not choosing something else. And again, there's always balance. There's times when we have to refresh. uh, We have to uh, step away and and recoup energy, and uh, both mentally and physically. It's definitely true of, of all of us. It's certainly true of me. But there again, we're counting the cost. Is this the right thing in the moment? If I'm taking the time to rest and recover, that means I'm not doing something else. Uh, If I'm 
spending time with family. That means I'm not spending time with somebody else. Again, I'm not telling you which one is right and wrong. And I think it, it varies depending on the time of life and where you are in life and what you're doing. There are many times, particularly as our kids get older, when we invite the kids with us and we're able to do ministry together. When they're younger, they require choosing the kids and doing things with the kids um, to help them become the people that God wants them to, to be. And for us, you know, we looked at that as part of our discipling. This is our first uh, disciples, that the ones we have the primary responsibility for. So that was an intentional choice sometimes to choose to do something that's going to help our kids become the people that God wants them to be. But always we have to evaluate and count the cost. You're choosing to spend your time somehow. And you have all the activities that make up your life. You know, you have meal times and prep and work and yard work and friends that you hang out with and hobbies that you do and uh, extended family. And then you have friends from 20 years ago that you want to keep in touch with. And you have all this network of relationships that often that's where fruitful ministry is. But not so much if we're not intentional about it. You have to count the cost even of being intentional in those relationships. So as you look to the future and you consider where I am now and where I'm going, one of my challenges for the day is consider how you should invest this life that God's given you. And, and that means your time, absolutely, but also all of your gifts, all of your talents, all of your abilities, all of your resources. You know, you have, if you're an American and you have a house and car and, you know, all these resources Consider how you can be intentional in being a good steward of those resources and submit those to the higher calling of being a follower of Jesus. You know, I believe that God has given us intellect for a reason. We should use it to plan out a forward path that is in line with His mission, a forward path that uses your gifts and builds up His church. You know, evaluate yourself and even consider, should I add some new gifts, some new skills to your list? Are there new competencies I can develop that will help me be a more effective servant along the way? A, a similar question would be, who should I be traveling with? You know, as you build this life that is a spiritual tower and you're counting the cost, consider how Nehemiah rode around the city walls. You know, the walls were all broken down and the enemies were able to look in and the, the children of Israel were afraid. Well, he rode around the city walls evaluating and only after he had evaluated did he reach out and he invited others into the work that God had laid on his heart. He couldn't do the work alone. He needed these people to walk with him. So he evaluated, thought about it, used his God-given intellect and the abilities that God had given him with and blessed him with. And he presented a clear plan of action and challenged everyone to do their part for the glory of God. Well, who can you challenge to go with you as you intentionally pursue a life in Jesus' footsteps? I think it's a question worth asking. I think it's a life worth living. Consider what God's doing, count the cost, and then follow Him. Well, thanks for joining me today. Check out runwithhorses.net for show notes and past shows. Write me at norman at runwithhorses.net if you have comments or questions, or let me know how God's working in your life. I'd certainly love to hear from you. Join our Facebook community and tell a friend if you found this show helpful. But whatever you do, However hard it seems, however difficult the day may be, don't ever stop running. <laughs>